what I normally find people get is they get they get hung up on the why somehow. Yeah, so it becomes like they're like You're like, no, not quite, not quite. Welcome to the Toronto Beer Podcast. With me, your host, Chris Schreier. And this week, featuring not the lovely Miss Mandy Murphy, but the lovely Mr. Nick Zubax of uh, Brew North fame. The man about Brew North, the most wonderful little homebrew shop in the East End of Toronto. Nick, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Sweet. That's that's what we like to hear around here. Don't like yeah. doing podcasts with people who are bummed out. So it's a good start. We're off to a great <laughs> start. Uh, so I've already sort of introduced you, but why don't you uh, uh, feel free to to add, uh, retract, or uh, uh, you know, uh, amend what I've said? No, I think you've got it uh, exactly right. That's about all I'd want to say about myself. <laughs> My name. That's it. Well, let's just work. Let's let's work from there. It's not a bad starting point. Uh, so you have been operating Brew North, which I hesitated in the intro because I almost called it Brew Magic. <laughs> which uh, is that's a, a, there is a pretty sweet Savco Brew Magic system for sale on the GTA Brews Facebook page. Right? I saw that nine thousand dollars. If you got nine thousand yeah. dollars kicking around, you don't know what to do with. Chump change. I believe it's Halo, right? Halo's selling that. Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Friends of the podcast, as you're listening to this, our goal is by the end of this episode, you will want to pay $9,000 for that <laughs> Sabco Brew Magic. It's a pretty sweet one. Triclamps and everything. So, Yeah, awesome. Uh, how long have you been doing uh, Brew North for? So I opened Brew North uh, officially uh, February 28th, 2015. So we're coming up on two years now. Yep. But... Uh, I did sign the lease in November of 2014, so I guess I've just re-signed the lease for another two years. So we're we're gonna hang in there for a little while longer. See what happens. Cool. Uh, the address, if you will. 1578 Queen Street East. So that's near Coxwell. Yep. Just uh, yep. down from where Godspeed will be, and uh, not too far from Left Field. Not too far from Left Field, and then Rorschach actually brewing is uh, opening up where the Papillon in the park used to be. Really? Uh, yeah. So those guys came in and said hi just the other night. Gave me a couple mm, of t-shirts. This is I, this is total yeah. news to me. I'm I'm kind of out of the loop. So sorry. Who's this? They're called Rorschach, hmm. and uh, they are. Do you know where Papillon in the Park was? I do. Yeah, like a that French was restaurant. a, yeah, a bit of Eastern, a sad yeah. story. That place closing down. Yeah. So they had some uh, well problems. Let's say. I guess. Google it. Complicated Google it, guys. problems. It's a really messy yeah. situation. It's yeah. It's a very messy situation. <laughs> And it opened up briefly as something else called the Wine Swine, which is an odd name and not one that really, I guess, appealed to a lot of diners. But uh, now it's opening up as Rorschach. So cool. I know very few details, but the guys told me that their brew house is uh, built. They're just waiting on approvals to get it all installed. Always waiting on that, uh, the government, the bureaucracy. Lots of lots of red tape. Yeah. Gosh. And I am, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm piecing together potentially a pilot system for another brewery but i don't know where they're at so i'll keep it uh hush hush for now but again in the east end so we're getting we're catching up with the west End. <laughs> yeah no I, I was thinking that uh uh you know we've got uh, eastbound coming in uh right next yep. to the old jillies obviously radical road's been operating on queen for uh 
I don't know how long now. Six months, maybe? Oh, yeah, around there. I'm not sure. I think their official opening was probably more like four months ago, but yeah. Something like that. And, of course, Muddy York and Left Field, the old stalwarts. Uh, I feel like I'm missing somebody obvious here. Well, Common Good, a bit further even afield up in in Scarborough, right? Just open their doors. So, yeah, we're, we're, we're filling out all right. For sure. We're catching up. Well, and to be fair, Amsterdam's main brewery, I think you could reasonably... It's technically, I suppose, west of the Dawn, but it's uh, it's in Leaside, so that's I'm gonna stake a claim to that one. <laughs> I'm gonna claim it for the East End. Yep. Yeah, I think so. I think they're fine with that. Uh, Okie doke. Uh, a normal uh, feature in uh, this here podcast is talking a little bit about what we're drinking. Would you like to go first? You told me you can't pronounce it, but uh, maybe you could spell it. Well, I'm gonna call it Saint Fulian. Oh, uh, Saint Fulian. Fouillon. Fouillon. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, I work on my French accent. Um, yeah, the uh, amber that's in uh, the LCBL right now. Uh, uh, nice. I haven't had that one. Good village. Yeah, I've had their... Well, I'm trying to think what I had last year. Maybe it wasn't it wasn't an amber, but um, maybe a triple. Yeah, they have a really, really nice triple, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the amber. Eight and a half percent. Pretty smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, good Belgian yeast character. Nice. Sounds yeah. good. I myself am drinking my uh, New World Saison that I uh, made up with the lovely New World blend from our friends over at Escarpment. And uh, with all Peco hops, which I trust you know about because I bought them off of you. So uh, I, I expect you I at least are familiar with them. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? I, I'm not sure that I've actually dipped into the uh, supply of Peco at the store to try brewing with it myself. Mm. Do you have it's more? The problem I do not. No, not right now. I could probably get some. Mm, it's tasty. That's one of those things. It's hard to find in small quantities, and I don't know that I'm ready to commit to a huge quantity. <laughs> not a lot of people walking in buying pounds, eh? Not a lot of people looking for pounds of peco. No, but it is tasty. It is a dwarf hop. That is. Yeah. Uh, does that actually mean that the plant itself is smaller? Or is that just a turn of phrase? I think so, because uh, Jerilo or Jerilo yeah. is another one that's a, a dwarf. Uh, there's like a whole dwarf hop growing association that specializes in this stuff. So. It's crazy. That's crazy. It is crazy. But I like it. A little spicy. Uh, nice, nice hop profile to it. So it's good. Uh, but I intentionally cracked it open because I knew we would be talking about home brewing, and it's not uh, an uncommon topic. Uh, Mandy and Mark obviously. Uh, did a bunch of home brewing previous to left field opening, and uh, and in fact, I I learned quite a bit about home brewing from Mark uh, doing a YouTube channel with him on it. So uh, it is a not uncommon uh, not uncommon topic. But I thought that you and I being sort of specialists now, Mandy obviously is busy running a brewery. <laughs> she doesn't get a lot of time to brew herself, but uh, we could cover some stuff. So like right off the top, somebody's listening right now. Uh, yeah. They're, they're thinking, what's the easiest way to get my feet wet in the homebrew scene? What's your advice? The easiest way to get your feet wet in the homebrew scene, I would say probably to pick up a kit. And whether or not you were going to go with one of those, uh, like a Brooklyn Brew Shop one-gallon kit, or if you were going to pick up the one-gallon kits that I create myself and sell at Brew North, or if you were going to go whole hog and try a five-gallon extract kit, I think that's probably, you know... Barring the usual researching everything like crazy on Google as it as you develop a new uh, you know obsession, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'd say actually just jumping in, getting both feet wet right away. What do you need for one of those kits aside from the kit itself? 
you know, the kits themselves, uh, both mine and the Brooklyn Brew Shop ones, and I think probably most one gallon kits, all the equipment and ingredients you would need to brew your first batch of beer, uh, with the exception of a pot to do the mash and the boil it, and then uh, some bottles for when you're ready to bottle. Amazing. Amazing. And bottles are easy to come by. Just drink some beer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I never have a problem uh, getting my hands on empty bottles, turns <laughs> out. And if you've ever cooked pasta, you probably have an appropriate size pot for one gallon anyways. Yeah, fair point, actually. Because, yeah, that's only, what's a gallon? Four liters? Four liters, right? So really, to do a mash, you need like an eight, eight liter pot, probably, <laughs> you can get away with. Crazy. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, I actually, and it's brew in a bag, right? Those kits are all brew in a bag? It's brew in a bag. Yeah, my, my kits come with a brew bag. The Brooklyn Brew Shop ones, I think they just throw all the grain and the hot water in a pot and you wait. Then you got to strain it all out through a strainer. Really? Yeah. Oh. No brew bag. Oh. I assume there's a brew bag involved. Um, brew in a bag, uh, for you kids listening at home, uh, is a way to uh, remove a significant technological step from the brewing process, which is the mash, which uh, Nick's been mentioning, uh, whereby basically you have to have the, the grain submerged in uh, specific temperature water, but then you have to separate it out. So you could pour it through a strainer, although that's... Um, challenging messy. uh messy messy uh whereas if you have a bag that is fine enough mesh to uh hold the grain you just steep it like a big old tea bag and when it's ready you squeeze it out and that is actually the first time i properly homebrewed um was with a friend of mine matt and he'd been doing brew in a bag he'd actually just gotten a brew magic and uh but he did a, a brew in a bag for me because i thought that would be the direction i was going to go but then i ended up not i just as you say over researched overthought and then just got into full <laughs> all grain in a proper mash tun so sure. well that's cool uh and then uh, with those, what's the turnaround time? I actually had a guy who has one of those, and he asked me uh, yesterday, he said, you know, will the, will the beer be ready in time for Christmas? This was on November, December, pardon me, the 5th, 4th. So what's the turnaround December time? December 4th. Eh? I told him yes, by the way. You know, <laughs> <laughs> which is fair enough. I think, you know what, with most, you know, like the dry ale yeasts that come in those kits, you should probably expect, you could have your beer fully fermented. In 10 days, I think. I always like to leave things on the yeast cake uh, a little longer because I think it helps clean up uh, the beer and, and gets a, a smoother, better flavor. But um, And then bottle conditioning. You know, I guess if you're lucky and you keep it kind of, you know, room temperature, you might have some that are fizzy enough to drink in seven days. So maybe Christmas. Yeah. I'd be more comfortable, say, on the first week of January now, but... Yeah. So call it a push. month anyway. Let's call it a month. I'd say a year looking four weeks. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I obviously have seen those kits, um, uh, in the shop and everything, but I've never, never tried, uh, the stovetop technique. I, I wonder if that might be a not bad option through winter because, uh, brewing in cold, soggy, melting snow, cause it's melting under your feet as you're firing up that big old pot. Uh, it yeah. gets, gets a little gross. I'm not going to lie. And that's really, I think, the big challenge for a lot of home brewers who want to move from like one gallon batches up to like a five gallon batch is the heat source, right? Especially in the wintertime in Canada. But, you know, if you've got a gas range, you can do it. That's how I started with all grain brewing. I was on my gas range with a big pot that spans two burners. So I could get about seven and a half gallons to a boil on it, but it took forever. Huh. I know a lot of people, uh, obviously, there's a bit of <clears throat> cost of uh, <clears throat> equipment costs involved, but you get the uh, the heat sticks. 
You can get a yep. heat stick and augment the uh, the gas range, or even some of them. Some people just use a pair of them and, and boil on the range top, but just using the heat sticks. So that's a yeah. an expensive uh, but viable option. I I was blessed with a a, a gas uh, cooker element that I was gifted or given more specifically. Nice. So that uh, that was never a problem for me. The bigger problem for me was big pots. So I actually cut open a keg. And yep. uh, that's my kettle. And yep. uh, I have a 32-quart stock pot that I use for doing, like, lobster cooks. And right. uh, I use that to heat my uh, my sparge water. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I use a big old—it's uh, actually a pair of garbage bins that are stacked for insulation uh, as my uh, my mash and louder ton. So it's a pretty Frankenstein-y kind of really? system. Yeah. That is pretty Frankenstein-y. Yeah, it was, uh, that might be the next major piece of equipment to get replaced is that louder ton yeah it's great though because it's huge like i could make a 10 gallon 13 percent imperial stout in that thing for sure <laughs> sounds like a plant yeah maybe not but uh no. that's just a whole lot of grain to have to dump out <laughs> at the end yeah, <laughs> i think it weighs a ton when you're pouring it yeah. out so yeah. uh, a lot of compost a lot of dog biscuits yeah, I don't even. I, you know what I do? I dump it into the garden, and then uh, we watch the squirrels just pull it apart. And we—I don't know if if it's if I'm inventing or not, but the squirrels in our backyard look way fatter than squirrels anywhere else in our neighborhood. So it's possible. Yeah, I think they get the the good diet from our backyard. Uh, so how did you get into homebrewing then? You know what? I uh, probably, if uh, if I remember correctly, I was browsing Reddit, and uh, somebody had built a how to. Uh, they built a, a, a. I like Futurama, the cute, the cartoon Futurama. They built a Bender robot life size that they'd actually used to either brew or dispense ferment and possibly dispense their beer. Hmm. And I thought the whole thing was kind of a cool nerd project but uh the coolest part about it was that people could make beer at home and so i started looking at how i could do uh brew my own beer i looked at brew on premise stuff and the more i kind of looked at it the more i thought it sounds boring to take to go some and i mean there's some great brew on premise places in the city if that's what you want to do i think that's there i could recommend excellent ones but the more i thought about it, i'm, I'm a hands-on guy i wanted to i like to break things and fix them so i wanted to figure out how do i do this myself at home so I bought uh, some extract kits, and uh, I did two extract kits, kind of back-to-back, and then immediately researched how to build my own mash tun and found all of the equipment I needed to just jump right into all grain. Yep. <clears throat> I'd been advised by a couple of friends who are professional brewers that were like, you know, dude, like, just get straight into all grain. They're like, yeah. you'll want to do it so quickly anyway, just just do it. And so that's into. yeah. I, I I offer that same advice to a lot of people too. I think a lot, and I think a lot of people want to do it right. We kind of live in an age where people they want to they like the DIY stuff, right? They're not interested in in necessarily fooling around with pre-made syrups and that sort of stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that if you're an extract brewer. No, there's not at all. In fact, I have a friend who uh, started with a Brooklyn Brew Shop kit. Um, then when he wanted to scale up, moved into doing what, uh, what we call the partial mash. So extract, yep. but with, uh, steeped grains and then had a crack a couple of times at all grain and just felt that it was too much effort. And he wasn't being an artist about it. He just wanted to produce 
volumes of beer at home that would just be like simple. Like he was just making like kind of plain kind of ambers and stuff like that. And so he yeah. just decided, no, it's easier just using all extract. And so yeah. he, you know, makes most of his own beer himself. And it's just a couple of a handful of different extract recipes he uses. And uh, he's totally happy with that. He doesn't feel the need to play or experiment or anything like that. And I bet you his beer's good. Yeah. It's pretty, and but, consistent. Probably pretty damn yeah. consistent. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine, at least, let's say. I've never had one, to be honest <laughs> with you. I don't know if he hasn't offered me one because he's nervous that like I might be judgy or or what. There is uh, <laughs> listeners at home if you're not familiar, uh, a bit of a chasm between a lot of all grain and a lot of extract brewers, where the all grain people feel can typically feel uh, kind of high and mighty because they do the whole thing themselves. But uh, I think it's just a matter of figuring out what you want out of the the hobby and. Uh, for a lot of people, like you say, they want to be involved in like the very technical side of the process. Or a lot of people, it's the same with like cooking, where they want to experiment and try different things and and you know play with different flavors. Whereas others just like cook to eat, and uh, and there's nothing wrong with that either if that's your your situation. But I think you find that yeah, you also find that you know even home brewing is one of those hobbies that comes with a fair amount of dogma and a whole bunch of different conflicting but same opinions at the same time right you're brewing a bag people don't want to under don't understand the need for a mash down your mash down people would never go back to brewing a bag there's a lot of opinion mm. it's funny uh the <laughs> the amount of crap <laughs> that you find <laughs> uh about home brewing uh is just ridiculous i like I'm not super involved in other technical hobbies. Um, I'm trying to think of some other examples. Um, like, I don't know, stargazing. I don't know what. So I don't know if it's a common thread on hobbies across the internet or if it's a specific thing within brewing. But yeah, the amount of like garbage that you discover online, <laughs> terrible advice or completely there's false of, like things. There's a lot of terrible advice and there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of you should never, you know, and eat brew in a bag versus mash tun, I guess, you know, but uh, secondary fermentation, that's a big one. Mm. Should you secondary? Yeah, which there's this whole thing that there was these rules, I guess, sort of set 30 years ago when homebrewing <laughs> was about trying to emulate production scale brewing on a smaller size. And yeah, yeah just so much of it has been shown to be completely useless just a waste of time and energy but the sure. the rules just you know they 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 persist it's ridiculous yeah, yeah. but well well let's have a little good advice corner here okay sure. uh, you, you got a home brewer they've been brewing all grain five gallon batches probably like an igloo cooler mlt uh, which is a mash louder ton we're just getting jargony now um you know uh uh, nothing, nothing super technical, just making some basic like Sierra Nevada pale clones and stuff like that. Sure. What's their next, what's the next thing they buy their next investment to uh, improve their process? 
you know, if they don't already have an immersion chiller, I mean, assuming they got a match lotter ton and a pot, I mean, is an immersion chiller already in the scenario? If they don't, I think that's going to be a, a big thing, getting that beer chilled quickly to, uh, you know, get a clearer wort, yep. reduce your chance of chill haze, and maybe, um, you know, halt that, uh, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to say, but stop those those hops from uh, adding any more bitterness to it, right? The sooner you get that beer chilled. Yep the less those asses are getting broken down into bitterness. But uh, I'd say that one. But, you know, I kind of tell people that the three, once they've kind of got all their equipment set up and they've got a couple of batches under their belt, they're looking to up their game. I usually recommend in order uh, yeast starters, temperature control, and then uh, water profile. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I, in my own uh, adventures in homebrewing, have... Uh, Yeast culture's down, no problem. Got the big old flask yep. and stir plate and everything. Love that. I find that, uh, uh, I don't know necessarily that the quality's not gone up, but certainly the, yep. the ferments kick off quicker and they, they look more vigorous and robust. So, um, sure. And I also do water chemistry stuff just because that, of the lot of them, that's, I think, to me, the, the lowest cost uh, change to make. Uh, in that, uh, well, I guess if you get a pH meter, that would throw it a lot, but I don't, I don't fiddle with pH so yeah. much aside from theoretical stuff, but, uh, changing water chemistry is, is you just need a really, you know, a $15 scale that you buy on amazon.ca and, uh, and then just some, some salts and stuff from your friendly local homebrew shop and you're off to the races, yeah. but, uh, fermentation temperature, I still have not, uh, tackled mainly because of space. I don't have room for a, uh, a chest cooler that I can hook up to a temp controller. Yeah, and so I, I totally get that. And and I guess, you know, my question to you, though, I mean, if you had the space, if you would put it in there, but you brew a lot of Saison's farmhouse styles, and those are styles that I would say, if anything, temperature controller or a fridge, let's say a temperature, a fermentation chamber is less important. If anything, you'd probably be looking for like a heat belt or a space heater, which takes up less space than a whole fridge. So... Do you totally, brew those actually, styles because you don't have temperature control or do you don't have temperature control because you just like brewing those styles? Uh, I brew those styles partially because I don't have temperature control. And so obviously that you have a higher rate of success uh, with those than others. Um, and also partially because those are some of my favorite styles to drink. But uh, but yeah, the, certainly the lack of temperature control uh, does lend to that. Although, as I was discussing last uh, episode, for those who uh, follow along, and and you you're in on this, you're you were the 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 maven of the uh, Kavike East, giving it to the right people at the right time. But I did, I, I've sort of fit because I do have temperature control insofar as I converted my office into a fermentation chamber for the Kavike. Uh, using a space heater and keeping it north of 30 degrees. And when Mandy and I <laughs> recorded last time, my office was still at that temperature. And so I was pissing and moaning about the temperature in my office for most of the episodes. So, right. <laughs> so I guess I kind of have done that, but uh, yeah, well, I still, still. yeah, I still haven't bottled that one off. You were saying you had one of the, uh, the other yeast strains uh, sample uh, just before recording. eh? Yeah, I do I just had a sample of I've I've tasted so we did the four uh, different yeasts that we got from Escarpment Labs and thanks Richard for those, um, 
And I've tasted the two other brewers who have done their stuff. And the beers are good. I mean, interesting to play around with style. I mean, Farmhouse is a good... I mean, I guess you get some of the esters that you would expect from Farmhouse style. I've tasted mine in a hydrometer sample a couple weeks ago. Uh, I've been very non-traditional about it, though. It's a low-gravity beer, and I'm going to keg it because I'm lazy. (laughs) Yeah, I'll do that maybe tomorrow. Mine, uh, not bottled yet, uh, but on the other hand... Now, I have no idea how traditional it actually is because I've never had proper Norwegian Kvike. But with all the reading that I was able to do on it, uh, mine is probably as close to uh, traditional as I could get it without actually, you know, going to somebody who makes it. Uh, But so mine, I think, is around 12 percent and uh, (laughs) is going to be still and yep. is it's interesting some of the orange flavors dropped out of it but definitely still pretty spicy and estery uh and actually at first it was drinking a lot like a quad like kind of hot but it's calmed down quite yep. a bit so mm-hmm. yeah yeah well i look forward to trying it i i broke all the rules i did what i figured the you know uh well i guess richard wanted to see how it would perform in homebrew scenarios so i probably did the the lazy homebrewer scenario <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, with, with regards to fermentation, I suppose I was lazy cause it was just checking in my office and pop a little space heater in and just let it go. But, uh, it's I, good though. yeah. And, and the rest of it, I mean, bringing that high gravity is, I guess, kind of technical. That's not where you want to, not where you want to start. If you're, uh, if you're getting into brewing is with 12%, uh, no. <laughs> 12% beers. That's just crazy talk. Um, but yeah, no, I'm kind of excited to see how the others taste. Um, and it's cool because I think part of Richard's thinking on this is uh, see if he can kind of pick out a couple of strains that just act as really good, robust, kind of all-around farmhouse you know, yeasts that you can kind of... They, they work cool, but they ferment out real hot. I mean, fermenting north of 30 degrees, for people who don't know a lot about brewing, is almost unheard of some saison makers will keep their saisons up that temperature Mm. range but everything else there are yeast strains that'll die at that temperature range like it's it's and and they say some of these quake yeasts can get closer to 40 uh you'll read these these online stories of guys visiting guys in norway and they keep them next to the furnace and like it's crazy crazy yeah uh, okay. Uh, what about, tell me about a homebrew that you made that was just like a wacky wonky, doesn't have to be a mistake necessarily, but like, you know, uh, not standard. Yeah. I made a beer. It was pretty good. Next time I'll probably adjust the hop schedule a little. Huh? It's, you know, I'm pretty boring in this regard because I'm a pretty traditional brewer, you know. I'm still working my way through all of the styles. i uh trying to get each one kind of checked off like a notch in a belt. I think probably the most interesting beer I've made lately, I did a Russian Imperial Stout with another home brewer and we added four pounds of maple syrup to it, uh, which nice. helped the comedy for the uh, fact that we'd missed uh, a lot of our targets on such a big <laughs> as happens with big beers. But, uh, you know, a long time in the fermenter, um, a long time in a keg uh, after that kind of conditioning. And then I just bottled up about 15 bottles past one. And, you know, we were both, I think, 
pleasantly surprised by how it turned out. So, I mean, there's no maple in it at all at this point in time, but, you know, it's, you know, nine and a half, ten percent dark, rich, thick, yeah. stout. I was going to say, yeah. is is uh, maple syrup like honey and that it just ferments like right out? Yeah, I think it's one of the probably one of the hardest one of those things that people always want to get into their beer. Like they want to make maple nut brown ales or maple porters. Yeah. And it's really, really hard to get good maple flavor into a finished beer, especially, I mean, at the homebrew level, I think even, you know, without naming any names, even on the commercial level, it's rare that something is marketed as maple flavored that actually tastes like maple unless you find out that there's extract in it. So there's a couple of beers out there that have maple extract. It could be natural maple extract. That's fine. Yeah. That's really the only successful way I've seen at a commercial level anyways, that people have actually got maple flavor into their beer. I uh, I was actually just had, had a, a beer. I've got uh, an OCB uh, beer advent calendar uh, mm-hmm. this this year, uh, which is fantastic. Very always very thankful for that sort of thing. Um, I think it's still not too late. I mean, it's only the fifth. Uh, Sobeys has the boxes. You can go to any Sobeys that sells beer, and you can get yourself an advent calendar box and throw them together. And the good news is that when you do that, you'll get to drink the first five or six in one go. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's that, but, uh, I had a beer from railway city and it was a, a honey, honey ale. And, uh, my immediate impression was, this is a nice beer. It's a good brown ale. And then I was like, there's a little floral something or other there that I think is honey, but honey just, it's pure sugar. Like it's like using yeah. Belgian candy sugar. It just ferments out like mental. <laughs> And so I would say, you know, in the case of honey, you actually have the option of using honey malt from Gambrinus, which has a really nice honey flavor to it that'll stay in your beer. Uh, but nobody makes a maple malt yet. So hmm. somebody's got to work on that. Is honey malt actually made with honey or is it just part of the malting process that makes it honey-like? I think it's just, think it's just part of the stewing and kilning process that they use. But uh, I, I couldn't say for sure. Yeah. You'd have to ask Gambrinus. Yeah. Maybe they could be next on the podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, th- this is actually one of the, one of the kind of common misconceptions in homebrewing. So you get people will say like, well, how much, you know, maple syrup or how much honey do I need to add? Like, I want to make a honey ale that really tastes like honey. And it's like, well, then you're going to need to basically make like a mead <laughs> or like, what's the, a braggot? Is that what it is? The half? Yeah. Braggot you could do. Yeah. Uh, like what you're going to need, son is about 50% of your fermentables as honey. And now yeah. you're going to be talking like, yeah, I can taste honey in there for sure. <laughs> it's not going to be a lot of body left in that beer. Though. Nope. And it's going to make for one mean hangover. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I don't even remember how we got off onto that, but there you go. Oh, no, I'd asked you about crazy. Yeah. Uh, crazy recipe. Crazy. So it's probably the craziest recipe I've done lately. I mean, um, yeah, nothing... You know, nothing super crazy for me. I uh, spend, I've kind of hit that point uh, in the hobby for me, you know, about a year ago where I've got four or five, maybe six recipes that I really have had some success with, you know, standard kind of stuff, ordinary bitters or ESPs or pale ales. And I have pilfered little bits of it from other brewers' uh, ideas, and uh, I'm just trying to kind of get those ones down. I'm kind of into repeatability. I want to make this as good as well as I can, and I want to make it a second time. 
as well as I can. Hmm. Nice. I, yeah. uh, I kind of am there, not quite. My thing is mostly with, especially, like, I, I play around, again, mainly in the farmhouse styles. And so it's like, I kind of have 85% of a beer to guard recipe, and then the other kind of 15% is up for interpretation. And maybe a little bit less than that, maybe like 80% of a Saison recipe, and the rest kind of batch by batch situation by situation might change uh but the kind of the the bones kind of stay the same and uh i mean it isn't super repeatable it's not like i'm you know making a a tiny tweak and just tightening and tightening in it's more like i know that this is a good working kind of framework and now what do i want to do with it like am i gonna with a saison like Let's let's play a little bit with some darker candy sugars and see if we can get some like, you know, really nice burnt kind of candy sugar in there or or playing with the hops like with the New World or with the yeast like the New World uh, because it's got the, the Brettanomyces strain in it because it's a blend. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can have a lot of fun with that. Right. Crank it up nice and hot and pop a lot of the esters and then uh, take it. And uh, well, you can rack it off. It's funny. The one that I just finished drinking, uh, I ended up keeping in the primary for um, oh, like four and a half months or something like that. Right. And then when I went to bottle it, I racked some off. But I'm trying to remember who told me. It seemed credible that Brett will actually consume dead yeast. <laughs> You know, and I got to admit, my 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 Brett and sour game. I need to work on it because I've got less experience of that than other areas of home brewing. But yeah, I've I've heard that. I've heard. I know specifically that it will uh, consume uh, diacetyl and esters produced by sac or pediococcus or any of that stuff. But yeah, and I should say it eats it. It doesn't consume it the same way that it does sugar, but it, it it'll break <laughs> yeah. it down and and right. you, yeah, destroy the compounds so that they can become volatile and leave the the beer, uh, yeah. which is pretty cool. Brett's a ton of fun, man. The pellicle on that was just crazy too. Uh, it just looked like there was like marshmallows across the surface of the beer. <laughs> Pellicles look so awesome. I mean, there is a whole category of the internet just devoted to awesome pellicle shots oh yeah but they're hard to shoot because you're shooting through thick curved glass yeah so it's not easy no no um yeah i don't i haven't had i've got a flanders red that um i'm probably 13 months into now that uh i should really think about um you know sampling again and bottling but my last prep beer was supposed to be an, an, an English old ale uh, that would have been, you know, with a, a Y yeast blend that had Brett in it. Supposed to replicate the idea that uh, in like 19th century breweries, English breweries, they wouldn't have been able to stop necessarily a Brett infection from happening at some point. Right. You get more natural. But it was a disaster. So uh, it will go down the drain. I think I remember reading on, uh, on Zithophile that porters historically would have actually been a little sour. For, for yeah. the same reason that there just there would have been native, you know, bacterias in the brew house, so it wouldn't have been like tart sour, but there would have been like a, a sour kind of bite to them. Yeah, and there's the same kind of same some debate about whether or not it's true, but the same um, you know rumors about uh, Kentucky Con, which is a style of like pre-prohibition cream ale that was kind of dark, and purportedly could be sour. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it's funny cause I, I remember, I can't remember the first person kind of locally who put out a Kentucky common that at least I was aware of. Um, 
and they just made it straight. And then, yeah, all sorts of people got into doing it like with a sour mash because it was like, oh, yeah, it might have been a sour beer. But it also might not have been <laughs> like it's, it's yeah, totally it not have been, Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to lean towards it might not have been. So, yeah, especially that's... not a kettle sour, although that's not a bad way to, to put, you know, get a bit of a sourness into a beer. But uh, but anyway. We're getting off the deep end here into beer geekery. Yep. This is yes. crazy talk. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and more very divisive uh, parts of the hobby. That's true. And this is, so A, you can get a lot of bad information. B, you can get a lot of really petty infighting about... Uh, <laughs> kettle sours. About kettle sours versus yogurt sours versus... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Traditional sours. That's right. Uh, did I ever tell you about the time I accidentally made a completely unmakeable sour? <laughs> I'd, uh, well, no. I'd, I'd been offered to grab some grain from a friendly local brewer who I will not name so that they don't get harassed by home brewers who, as uh, we know, have a tendency towards thrift, to <laughs> put it lightly. Um, but uh, they'd said, oh, yeah, come on in and grab some grab some uh, base malt if you need it, because obviously breweries go through a lot and home brewers sure. don't so much. And so I'd needed... I was doing, um, I don't even remember what the beer was supposed to be, but I needed 11 kilos of, uh, of like pale two row. So I'd gone in and without getting too much into the details had assumed that what I was grabbing was pale two row and actually what it was, was, uh, acidulated malt or sour malts. (laughs) which, um, you can't do apparently it, uh, yeah. When I opened up the mash tun, it was literally like bread dough. Like it actually kind of was mounded up a little bit. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when I when I tasted it, it was I, well, it was it was it was like acid. It was acidic. It was it tasted yeah. like it had been somebody had dumped like liters of vinegar into it. It was just crazy. So that was one of the very yeah. few uh, homebrews that I've ever actually thrown out. I. Uh, I don't generally <laughs> screw up a batch so bad that I have to kill it in production, but that one, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've only had to throw one out at that stage of brewing, but now I'm kind of at a point where if I've got five gallons of something that's just frankly mediocre, you know, which happens. You sometimes I'll, I'll kind of struggle through it, uh, or I'll have a few. But you know, I don't really want to share. You know, I've made enough good beers at this point in time. I don't want to share a bunch of bad beers with people because I think it gives, you know, just to get rid of it, because I think it gives just re- the idea of homebrewing a bad reputation. So quite often, you know, if there's I've got four taps on a keyser downstairs. If I've got something that I know is going to be better, I want to put on it, and I'm not patient enough to make room, then I'm going to dump something. Which I was saying, I guess, it's easy to say when you run a homebrew supply shop <laughs> and you can just go grab some more ingredients. Uh but yeah, <laughs> life's too short to drink crappy homebrew. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. And actually, yeah. I know, and you know this too, uh, when you're part of the homebrew community, uh, you will often get given a beer. Sometimes you get given a beer and the person's kind of like a bit sheepish about it. And they're like this, you know, I, I, they want your their your help, you know, like what went yeah. wrong. And that's fine. Like that happens. But yeah, the amount of times you actually get handed beer that is at least mediocre <laughs> but it's like being given to you in a way that it's like oh no no like like i uh 
this is this is this is like what I'm up to, right? Like this is some good beer. I made it myself. And you're like, yikes. <laughs> I I get a fair number of uh, bottles of beer brought to me at the store with you know people who run the gamut. They're they're proud of something, and sometimes rightfully so. Or they want to know, what do you think of this? Or, or where did I go wrong? You know, and sometimes it's not as bad as they've made it out to be. You know, I, uh, or there's flaws that are easily fixed. You know, you can tell right away that's what's gone wrong. But, but yeah, sometimes it's just bad. Yeah. We've all been yeah. there. Yeah, for sure. I think the scary thing that happens, and, and I can speak from other realms, not just homebrewing, um, especially people who are kind of new to the scene, just they don't know what is good and what's not. Yeah. And so they'll, they'll give you something and they're like, this is good. And you're like, no, this is not good. (laughs) But like, maybe you just don't have the exposure to know that it's not good. Like, you know what though? And that's kind of, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of new brewer syndrome. I think a lot of people, the first batch of beer they brew, they, they have a part of them expects it to turn out horrible. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the time it turns out great. Not just, you know, oh, well, okay, whatever, great. But I think most people, you'll always get beer, right? I mean, almost always get beer unless you really pooched it. But, um, you know, I think most people, there's some part of them that's pleasantly surprised that they actually made beer. And everybody loves, everybody loves their baby, even their ugly yeah. baby. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, yeah. You mentioned you got a keezer, which is the hipster word for a freezer that has been modified uh to to hold kegs and to serve uh kegs not at frozen temperature but at uh at just yeah. a pleasantly chilled temperature uh so you're a, yeah. you're a keg guy i'm not again not no space for fermentation yeah. chamber no space for a uh, keezer but uh if you had to estimate for the budding home brewer the cost of kind of getting into the kegging kegging game what number are you going to throw out there I think if you shop around for a used keg, I mean, I guess if you get stuff used, you might be able to do it less. But if you're going to buy a single ball lock keg and a, and a regulator um, and the requisite to being a CO2 tank uh, and even just a picnic tap, say, and stuff it into a bar fridge that you can open up for once a course of beer, I think you're looking at a minimum 300 bucks. Which isn't too, too bad. Not too, too bad. Yeah, 300 throw in some tax, maybe, you know, uh, maybe 350 um, You know, there are, well, I mean, but there's there's lots of ways to do it, buddy. Shop around. I mean, the, the, that doesn't include the cost of a freezer. But, I mean, Kijiji's your best friend for a freezer. That's a fair point. Yeah. Sweet, sweet action. Uh, you and I are both part of the GTA Brewers Homebrew Group, a wonderful resource mm-hmm. for both the budding and the experienced homebrewer. Absolutely. Uh, I haven't been paying much attention recently. They uh, uh, they got any events coming down the pipe? I think learn no learn to brew just happened. Uh, what's up? They just had the learn to brew day. You know, I and I don't I don't know when their next monthly meeting is. You know, I mean, they could be. They seem to become a little more infrequent. But I mean, it's been busy. I think with uh, the brew slam that just went by, mm-hmm. um, and the learn to brew. Uh, and then they just had a big bulk buy and, uh, I mean, there's been lots of stuff, uh, happening at the club, in the club. Uh, I just don't know that they've had any, uh, actual traditional club meetings. Lately. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I have trouble often getting to them and, uh, I've, I, <laughs> I, was gonna say, I, I mean, I'm, I'm 
loosely in the club, I guess. You know, I, I saw my comes up in my Facebook feed. I talk to a lot of the guys in the club, but uh, you know, their meetings tend to be on days where I'm working. So yeah, I never get a chance. You to work most days though, so I do. I do work most days. <laughs> if they had one on a Monday afternoon, I might make right. It. Yeah, exactly. Seems unlikely. <laughs> it would be a quiet meeting, though. I'm sure. <laughs> Monday from 9.30 till noon. That would work for me. Although I was surprised. I did, before I started the regular gig with the post office, I did a, a, they call it a brew and A, which is where somebody uh, who brews uh, says, hey, I'm going to be brewing today. Anybody who wants to swing on by my place, DM me, I'll give you details. Uh, We'll have some beer, talk about my setup, like whatever, you can ask questions. And uh, I actually had three people show up. It was like Tuesday, kind of, early no mid-morning through till like early afternoon and uh yeah, yeah. not not everyone keeps the basic nine to five these days so does fair enough i um you know and and i do brew at the store for myself mm-hmm. pretty regularly so it was just that it's usually a last minute decision but uh yeah maybe I should, next time i should just put it out on the on the store page and maybe even on the gta brews page to say i'm gonna brew something today so if you got or tomorrow so if you want to see a swing by, see yeah. it happen, then I do my own. Brewery. It is a great way uh, to to again back to that first question, getting your feet wet. A lot of a lot of homebrewers yeah. are more than happy to have you pop around, ask some dumb questions, ask some good questions, and everyone's happy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Drink some of their homebrew. Ideally, yeah. And if you don't have homebrew of your own, don't be shy to bring uh, something like uh, uh, Lone Pine from uh, Soda City. Yeah, some good Ontario Ransack the Universe from Collective Arts would work well. Bone yes. Shaker, I'm always happy with. Oh, wait, this is just my wish list now. <laughs> sweet, sweet action. Anything uh, you want to plug around the shop? You got anything coming in you want to big up or anything like that? Huh, anything I want to big up at the shop, you know? Um, you know, not off the top of my head. I got a fresh escarpment uh, labs uh, yeast order coming in this got week. Got the Cali coming? Got the Cali um, coming in? I should have some Cali. I'm hoping I get the full gamut there, so we'll see what happens. It's kind of, you know, uh, because they're still kind of uh, getting up and running. There are times, I think, split between getting their uh, their lab uh, set up. Uh, what they propagate, when they propagate it, and how much I can get is always a bit up in the air, but... Uh, definitely, I think some Saison strains nice. coming in. Um, but yes, Cali should definitely be Escarpment Labs, by the way, um, for uh, everyone listening, yeah. is uh, Ontario's own yeast laboratory or laboratory. And uh, <laughs> so it's pretty cool that we're getting yeast uh, from right inside the province because up till now it's mainly been Y yeast and uh, White Labs, both of which are very lovely yeasts to work with. And I guess to yeah. a lesser, oh, on the dry side, uh, Lavalin, is that what they're called? Lavalin, yeah, Fermentus. Uh, well, now I have to think about this now. Safale is Fermentus. Lavalin, uh, that's the, uh, yeah, Lavalin. Lavalin is actually one of the biggest yeast producers in the world. Not mm-hmm. mainly focused in brewing so much, but brewers yeast is an oh, an element of their business. But they produce all sorts of yeast cultures for a whole lot of other industries. Yes, but, uh, I digress. And of course, uh, Omega, everyone's favorite uh, funky yeast producers. Everybody's favorite lactose strain. So lots of the Omega in stock right now at the store. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, escarpment's coming in. And uh, I mean, with Christmas coming, I guess there's lots of little doodads, you know, locally made maple mash paddles that I think uh, 
you know, are worth a look and pretty reasonably priced. A whole bunch of grandfathers are coming in this week uh, for people who are uh, not so much on a budget but have tight space and a great desire to brew five or six gallon batches. Uh, that's probably your easiest turnkey way to get Grandfathers started. in the thousands, yeah? Yeah, you're looking at a thousand. Oh, just yeah. a thousand. All right. I was sure. thinking it was like two or just three. Just a thousand, yeah. No, I think that's the Pico Brew, which I can actually source for you. But um, And there's a rep here in Canada who's who's pushed the Pico Brew Zymatic. It does two and a half gallon batches. It's about the size of a microwave. Uh, and it's uh, it's definitely a slick piece of kit, but it comes at a pretty Yeah, penny. no fooling. They call it the Keurig of uh, home brewing. That's, it's basically, that's exactly yeah. what it is. Sweet action. Well, Nick, thank you for joining me. Hey, thanks for having sweet, me on. Sweet, sweet. Check out Brew North at brewnorth.ca or .com. Both. both. Uh, yeah, it goes to the same yeah, place. They both end up in the same place. And uh, storefronts on Queen close close Mondays and Sundays or just Mondays? Close Mondays, but open six days a week yeah, otherwise. So pop yep. on in. Nick's always around. Happy fellow to answer your questions, even if it is if you should use secondary fermentation in your homebrew batch or not. And uh, <laughs> I will be back next week. Mrs. Murphy and I will be discussing the environmental impact of brewing. It's not small. That's going to be the subtitle of that episode. And uh, <laughs> we will be back and cruising as always. So until then, Toronto, thanks for listening. <laughs>